Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and tonight we're going to talk about all things that just happened in week 10. That's right, we have had 10 weeks in the NFL season already come and gone. I know we got Monday Night Football coming up, but have plenty of action to talk about from NFL Sunday. Fun slate, not as many injuries as normal, always good to see that, but I want to go through every single game, talk a little about what happened, you know, go through some just behind the box score notes, you know, better ball touchdowns, guys that maybe had a touchdown that was nullified by penalty, also break down some injuries. So thank you, as always, for tuning in. You know, this is always a typical Monday pod. On Tuesday, I'm going to break down Monday Night Football, go over some waiver wire options. Wednesday, we go game by game breakdown. Thursday, I bring on a special guest to just go over some cool questions. Friday, break down Thursday Night Football and injuries to watch for ahead of the weekend. So as always, my goal is to make you as knowledgeable as possible about fantasy football and real life football in general, who we can tends to intersect way more often than the casuals out there might think. So without further ado, let's get to it. Uh, first, I want to talk about the Browns defeating the Texans 10-7. to uh, Not the most exciting game. You know, some like me maybe had super high expectations for this because it was supposed to be free Duke Johnson week, but alas, that was not the case, at least in terms of total production. But let's start off with the Browns here because Baker Mayfield just didn't have, you know, to do much in this one. It was kind of, it's been the story of the season for the Browns. I mean, you know, credit to them. They're now 6-3. and three. They've been playing some great football largely most of the season. But again, it's just week after week where Baker Mayfield doesn't have to do much. And, you know, I'm not not trying to take away from the guy, but it's just a situation where if the Browns are going to be sitting here at the end of the year with double-digit wins, we're going to have a lot of people taking kind of victory laps on Baker Mayfield, and the fact of the matter is he just hasn't been asked to do all that much all season. And this one, only threw the ball 20 times, you know, 132 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Kudos to him for, you know, limiting the disastrous plays, but too many instances throughout the game where, you know, the ball just wasn't where it needed to be, you know, receiver had to stop or who was behind him. He had one amazing throw, I believe it was the end of the third quarter, where, you know, you see that arm talent, especially when, you know, he's got an open receiver, he's able to roll to his right, break the pocket. You know, you see the flashes of what what's made him such a special quarterback at times, but again, just too few and far in between and just with Baker it's a situation where fantasy football you know almost any time I get a start sick question with this guy the answer is the other player because ultimately fantasy football the best thing we can do is try and project volume and week in and week out Mayfield just doesn't have it on the Texan side of the ball, Deshaun Watson completed 20 of 30 passes for 163 yards and a touchdown. Really wasn't even that good of a game, and I understand those stats aren't that great, but, you know, Watson really until the end of the game, he had one nice kind of touchdown drive in fourth quarter. Before that, was under 90 total passing yards, you know, through pretty much the first 50 minutes of the game. So, really tough one to come by. I mean, I should have mentioned at the beginning of this that truly the weather in Cleveland was the worst. That really was anywhere other than that, you know, New England uh, Sunday night uh, just final game. So, weather was definitely an issue. We saw that with Watson and we saw it with both offenses throughout this one. So maybe it was the weather. Maybe it was me writing an article last week about, you know, Deshaun Watson playing his best ball yet, even without having DeAndre Hopkins in the picture. So if you want to blame me for jinxing him, I get it. But I do think the weather had a little bit more to do with this. Uh, you know, through weeks one through nine, uh, truly Deshaun Watson was playing the best football of his career and pretty much any passing metric you want to look at. Obviously, we would love to have the Houston Texans still have DeAndre Hopkins. Any offense in the league want to have DeAndre Hopkins, but we've seen Watson, you know, be more willing to throw to his first read, work within the confines of the system, and more weeks than not, that has brought some positive results to the passing game. So, wasn't meant to be in this one, but uh, still, you know, going back to well with Deshaun Watson as a top five fantasy and real-life QB moving forward. 
Looking at these backfields, we had Duke Johnson absolutely dominate snaps, 94% snap rate, 14 carries, zero targets. We had CJ, CJ Procise getting in there for 4% snaps, but this was the Duke Johnson show. Took me by surprise. I was thinking more of a Boston Scott, you know, 60-70% rolls the RB2 stepping up, but instead we got that Chase Edmonds backup, true RB1 workhorse role. Unfortunately, Duke couldn't make the most of it. He did have 54 yards. I mean, he had a nice John up the middle where he trucked the safety. He had another one up the middle where he juked the guy first and also remember a third and one where he was able to make a couple guys miss before getting there so you know I've had a lot of people come at me on Twitter I'm you know always been hyping up Duke Johnson as a three down back remember we are talking about the use all-time leading rusher here I understand this wasn't you know the big time performance we wanted but what about this performance shows us that Duke Johnson can't be a starting running back in the league this to me sure looked a lot like what the Texans running game has looked like all season with David Johnson there so if you want to say the answer to David Johnson versus Duke Johnson is just no okay I'll tip my hat to you but but, I mean, this type of usage, people, it's going to be tough to get away from Duke here moving forward. And I get it. You know, this wasn't the type of performance that necessarily guarantees a bunch of, you know, guaranteed touches moving forward. But I do think that, you know, with, we didn't see anybody else in this backfield command a carry. And because of that, you know, we are going to be firing up Duke as an upside RB2 next week. And it's going to be against the Patriots defense that we saw, you know, have more success than usual against the Ravens on Sunday night. But I am going to go back to the well with Duke Johnson. He is a volume-based RB2, and I think he will show off some heightened efficiency here moving forward. Uh, with the Browns, great game from both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Hunt led the way at 56% snaps, Chubb 45%. Both had 19 carries. Hunt had the four targets. Nick Chubb had a freaking 59-yard, should have been 60-yard uh, game, game-breaking touchdown, but instead he stepped out of bounds at the one-yard line. You know, it was a smart play, but he could have scored, and they would have been up two scores anyway. You know, he probably should have gone down in bounds. Whatever. Fantasy managers were upset about it, but Nick Chubb, you know, coming back, looked as healthy as ever, and the fact they were able to keep Kareem Hunt so involved was very good to see. So one quick note on these snap rates. You know, if you do see different ones throughout the week, these are coming to you from Sunday night, not official just yet all the way around. So please, you know, just have some patience with that, trying to get you the stats as quickly as possible. But we got to work with what we have here sometimes uh, with these receivers in this one. Again, this was a monsoon, so tough to expect much from anybody. Nobody ended up finishing with over 50 yards. Will Fuller had five catches for 38 yards. Brandon Cook, six catches, 39 yards. Uh, Jarvis Landry, 29 yards. Rashad Higgins, three catches, 48 yards. Look, it's going to be Fuller and Cooks with the Texans. Those guys are almost auto starts, and as long as we don't have these sort of weather concerns, I think Jarvis Landry could emerge as, you know, this sort of upside wide receiver three, maybe borderline wide receiver two. But look, the Browns want to run the ball. They have the schedule coming up to do so. And the Texans, we're going to see better days ahead out of this passing game. So not a situation I would worry about too much. Uh, any other notes? Uh, Randall Cobb dropped a potential short touchdown, but also say that Watson's one touchdown to Farrell Brown. I mean, it literally looked like this tight end cut in front of Will Fuller. I highly doubt that Watson was targeting Brown that one. You know, a touchdown is a touchdown is a touchdown, but funny how that one worked out. It finally was not Will Fuller week. It's unfortunate. Snapped his, I believe it was seven straight games with a touchdown. Absolute madness. He's been having such a great year. Go back to the well with Will Fuller as a borderline wide receiver one here moving forward pretty much regardless of the matchup. I want to do a PFF Lily stat for every single matchup here. Just something cool that I kind of take away, look at the whole season, look up moving forward. And for those that don't know, PFF Lily is my lovely 25-pound wiener dog. So without any further ado, the PFF Lily matchup stat for this is that we now have four games a season with both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt active. So week one, they got blown out by the Ravens. Chubb was the RB36. Hunt was the... uh 
what was he? Hunt was RB23. Since then, week two, we had Chubb as the RB4. Week three, Chubb was the RB4. Week two, Hunt was the RB7. Week three was the RB12. Obviously, we still have, you know, the Monday night game to pour in and stuff, but we are looking with both these guys having cleared 100 rushing yards in this one. We are looking at three straight games of Chubb and Hunt being together, both being borderline, not even borderline, both being top 12 players at their position in points per reception. So, truly, both these guys are RB1s moving forward. You look at the Browns' schedule for the second half, everybody. I was worried that it was going to be a situation where, you know, the Browns just don't have enough kind of volume to go around for these two guys but up until championship Sunday in week 16 we got the Eagles Jaguars Titans Ravens Giants and finally the Jets so truly you know believe me when I say I think we're going to have enough volume here to enable two RB1s more weeks than not it's rare to see this you know in the modern NFL this team have enough rush attempts to go around but I think you take away Odell Beckham from the picture and hey we're talking about the Browns legit top two playmakers in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb so they're going to do everything in their power to continue getting these guys the ball Next matchup, we had the Giants defeat the Eagles 27-17. This was, you know, kind of your typical NFC East game, and by that I mean largely a dumpster fire. I don't want to take away too much from the Giants because Daniel Jones did have a nice game, and look, he really probably is the best QB in the NFC East at this point. It's wild to say that, and, you know, I'm not giving up completely on Wentz just yet, but just based on what we have seen in 2020, I do think Jones probably deserves that title. This was a good game from him, 21 for 28, 244 yards, didn't have a pick, didn't have a fumble. Uh, It was a good game again this usually the fumbles are a big time issue for Jones but he managed to you know show off that rushing upside uh, nine carries 64 yards and a score while not turning over the ball so you know Jones he has you know some of these receiving threats we've seen him take just so much pressure I mean nobody been pressured more often than Jones coming into this game so the better he can, you know, kind of rein in that off script ability, utilize his legs because he is a, a great rusher. I believe it was um, a longtime Giants beat writer Art Stapleton has uh, said that Daniel Jones, including regular season and playoffs, already has more career rushing yards than Eli Manning. Absolute madness. We've seen him lean on it all year. And to his credit, he's an athletic guy and he makes it happen. So, uh, you know, the passing yards, no touchdowns. I get it. We need him to uh, step up a little bit more through the air. But he had back-to-back two real nice throws to uh, one to Shepard, one to Golden Tate. We were just down the field, back shoulder. I mean, he puts some throws on tape that are just absolutely fabulous. Uh, and he kind of has this poor man Josh Allen skill set where, you know, for better and for worse, he does kind of make you defend the entire length of the field, both vertical and horizontal, because of what he can do with his arm and his legs as well. So good stuff, largely from Daniel Jones. But Carson Wentz just didn't make anything big happen. I mean, the big thing that stuck out for, for me with this offense was they just didn't have an identity. It was good to see them keep Travis Fulgham on the field. You know, in this game, we had Jalen Rager play 56 snaps, Fulgham 55, Greg Ward 38, and Alshon Jeffrey uh, only played 18. So it was good to see them not take away Wentz's best weapon this year. That's been Fulgham. They got Miles Sanders back. They had Dallas Goddard back for the second straight game. But it, there just wasn't an identity on this offense. You know, Miles Sanders was doing some good things running the ball. But, you know, really throughout this year, started off with Wentz playing really bad. Then all of his weapons got hurt, and Wentz kind of had to really lean into that rushing ability of his more than ever now that the weapons are back we saw him kind of abandoned trying to run so much and we just haven't seen the same kind of not high-end pass ability he really hasn't been playing all that great all season but we did see a nice stretch there I want to say between weeks four and like eight where Wentz was putting together a lot better performances through the air so disappointing from that and with this Eagles team you know it's just tough to see uh, how they're going to improve too much moving forward not the easiest strength of schedule here moving on and Carson 
please take whatever the hell that freaking arm sleeve is off. I thought it was a tattoo band at first, but that thing is absolutely ugly. I guess it's camouflage, but I mean, that arm sleeve alone makes me want to see what Jalen Hurts can do out there. I do st still think that, you know, it's not exactly a competition. I mean, every time Hurts is out there. You see Wentz out there, you know, lined up as a wide receiver. So I truly don't think it's an open competition. But the more games like this where now that they have the healthy scope position players around Wentz and the less he does uh, with it, it's certainly going to uh, present some questions here moving forward that, you know, the Carson Wentz truces out there are not going to potentially like the answers to. Uh, looking at these backfields, Miles Sanders back in action, 70% snaps, 16 carries, 4 targets. Have Boston Scott, 29%. Uh, in his non-injury shortened games entering this week, Sanders was always at 75% above seeing him come back from injury at 70 percent i have no hesitation in continuing to fire up sanders as a top 10 back at the position here moving forward with this sort of health should have had a bigger game you know boston scott credit to him for busting a 56 yard touchdown run looked at, looked like he stepped out of bounds but hey this guy's the giant slayer we know he owns the new york giants he seems to score against them all the freaking time whenever they play so credit to him and then Corey clement had a five yard rushing touchdown after sanders that got them down the air so just unfortunate from sanders continuing to go Back to him as a legit RB1 uh, here moving forward. On the Giants' side, we saw Wayne Gallman actually play a little bit more than usual. 58% snaps, 18 carries, 2 targets. Alfred Morris was down at 22%, 8 carries, and Deion Lewis, 19%. So I was pretty low on Gallman coming in this one just because we had seen him more or less splitting the early down work with Alfred Morris over these past few weeks, but more and more, kind of like what we saw with Devontae Freeman. Uh, Freeman didn't really have that full Saquon-esque role start either, but he got it after a few weeks. The problem for Gallman is it sounds like Freeman isn't too far away from potentially uh, returning. Oh, wait, he might have just hit the IR again. He had that re-aggravation. That's right, okay, my bad. He was close to returning this week. He suffered a re-aggravation during practice, and they went ahead and I believe put him on IR. So, hey, Wayne Gallman, if we're getting these sort of 20 touches, you know, he got his two touchdowns from just being on the goal line. I mean, I I don't think we should expect this Giants offense to be scoring 27 points per week anything but hey you can do far worse than someone that's looking at 15 plus touches per game wasn't sure we we're going to get that out of Gallman but you know he has showed some bursts I think he's looked like the best Giants running back all season long excluding Saquon obviously but better than Freeman better than Morris better than Deion Lewis Wayne Gallman's going to be kind of a low-end volume-based RB2 here moving forward Quickly with the receivers, mentioned about the Eagles, uh, you know, still keeping Fulgham on the field, which was good, but this was just crowded, man. I mean, Rager had seven targets, but nobody else had over six. Warbers at six, Goddard six, you know, Sanders five, Fulgham five, Richard Rodgers five. Just a situation where, you know, Goddard was banged up for a little bit, but now it's so spread out that we don't really have the volume going to anybody. I'm continuing to go back in the well with uh, Dallas Goddard as a legit tight end one. I think we've seen too much from him over the years to really think any less as long as he has this opportunity. But with these wide receivers and Fulgham in particular, I think it's going to be more of a wait-and-see approach because right now this passing game is not looking good. And if we already have, you know, a low-producing passing game, now we have volume concerns on top of that. That is not good for fantasy football business people. Uh, with the Giants, Darius Slayton was banged up. I believe it was a shoulder injury early, but came back, ended up catching five balls for 93 yards. Sterling Shepard had six catches, 47 yards. He had six targets. Slayton had seven. Golden Tate was back in action with five targets. Evan Ingram took a step back with just three targets, two catches of 15 yards. Over the past few weeks, it had been truly Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and everyone else. So seeing this kind of split up target share again was new, and it is concerning for Ingram moving forward. He was someone that was starting to come on in the past weeks, but with them getting Slayton more involved, getting Golden Tate more involved, I think Ingram's going to be back more along that tight end one borderline as opposed to that top five, top six option we were hoping to get back to being. One of the more disappointing players this year, uh, just in terms of you know not being injured, being out there for almost every single snap in a lot of these games, and just not producing. So 
So, you know, Ingram, still talented. I mean, I don't want to give, on, up, give up on him just yet, but truly has not had the type of production we're looking for. Uh, with Darius Slayton, you know, he is going to be this big play, boomer bust guy, but I just think we know with Shepard, Golden Tate there now stealing this. It was a passing offense that was looking like it was going to be less crowded, but now it is looking like we're right back to that way. Um, other quick notes, Daniel Jones had a second rushing touchdown, actually nullified by a penalty. And then also Evan Ingram, I know I was just talking down on him. He did have, you know, again, he caught two of three targets. The one incompletion that was thrown Ingram's way, he actually caught, but was just out of bounds. It was almost an absolutely nasty uh, touchdown catch. So unfortunate that didn't work out. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stats. So look, in week two, Sterling Shepard got injured. But other than that, he has gone 21 straight games with at least six targets. You would have to go all the way back to week 11 in 2018 to find the last time that happened. Shout out to ESPN's Mike Clay. He originally put me on this stat a couple weeks ago, but it just keeps on keeping on. Sterling Shepard, six targets, Spider-Man meme it. It happens every single week. And you got to love it. Is he going to be this guy that's going to be you know a top 20 option as a position? No, but you can do a hell of a lot worse than someone that we someone that we can guarantee for that six target mark so love the consistency and that you know decent floor that we are seeing out of Sterling Shepard lately next matchup we have the Lions defeating the Washington football team 30 to 27 this was a fun game it did not look like it early the Lions roared out to a big league Ooh, roared out that was a that was a nice little play on words by me didn't even mean to kudos I just slapped myself in the back Matthew Stafford 276 yards three touchdowns uh, no interceptions did take a sack had a bomb to Marvin Hall early after he made the cornerback fall down also nice little corner route to Marvin Jones for a touchdown but it was one of these games where again without Kenny Galladay in the picture for the fourth time this year and for the fourth time without Kenny Galladay Matthew Stafford had an average target depth under 10 yards so at least in this one he still was taking some shots and you know what like you don't need the highest average target to have to run a good offense I mean it's it's good for business if you can get DeAndre Swift the ball in the shallow areas of the field and just get him space to work with but I just think the overall upside of this passing game without Kenny Galladay, like most passing offenses without your number one wide receiver, will continue to be limited. Credit to them for making the most out of this matchup, but you know I'm not exactly buying Marvin Jones as this you know weekly top 20 option, even though he had a good game in this one. On the other side of the ball, so look, Alex Smith is someone that, if you listen to this podcast, you know I've had some very strong feelings about his uh, play, uh, particularly over the last uh, his two games this season going into this week. And my main critique was just that, look, he is an amazing star story comeback player of the year give it to him right now I get it but before this week it was just captain check down to another level second it was not the second highest it was the highest check down rate in the league no other quarterback was even within 10 percent of him and his a 3.5 yard average target death last week was the single lowest mark in a game this season but that changed this week and it was not looking good early it was JD McKissick had I believe 11 targets or something just wild by you know early in the third quarter was not looking good for this offense but then there's a fourth and 13 where Smith had to step back he zipped one in they got the first down he had to throw this thing downfield and after that it was like a flip went off in this guy's head you know it just started to look great he was throwing the ball downfield Cam Sims Terry McLaurin Logan Thomas Isaiah Wright all these guys were making plays and again over these past few weeks like his game last week I ripped apart because the touchdown to Terry McLaurin was pretty much a hospital ball. So much of his 300 yards in that game were just yards after the catch. This game was different. This game, we actually saw him have a realistic average target depth. And because of that, you know, I'm tipping my hat to him. Alex Smith, he played a good game. You know, is this going to be a sort of a thing where we should expect him to throw for 390 yards on 55 attempts every week? Of course not. But, you know, he went out there. He had the Washington football team offense looking like a real-life NFL offense. And that is all we can ask for in hoping 
hoping that he can continue to enable Terry McLaurin. So uh, moving on to the backfield, at some point we need to end this J.D. McKissick thing. Look, I want Antonio Gibson to get these touches because Antonio Gibson has looked like the best running back on the Washington football team roster. If J.D. McKissick was making the most out of these opportunities, we would not be complaining about it. We would be saying, hey, you need to get J.D. McKissick on your team. He's a good player making the most out of these. J.D. McKissick in this game had eight carries for six yards and one rushing touchdown. As a receiver, he had 15 targets with seven receptions and 43 yards. It's not like he's getting, I mean, come on. You're a scat back running back? And you had 15 targets and you couldn't even post a 50% catch rate? In McKissick's defense, you know, he had one downfield target, pretty much the only one we've seen from him all season, more or less. And Alex Smith wasn't able to put it on him. He had a step of separation. Could have been a nice little touchdown. But it's just like, literally, as soon as Smith hit that fourth and 13, we saw this offense start going through its wide receivers, start going through the tight end, and immediately things turned around for him. So I just don't think the way they've been force-feeding the ball to McKissick is good for Alex Smith. And it's not good for anybody else involved because we're forcing the ball to a journeyman's Gap back, and I'm not trying to hate on McKissick too much, but I just don't know why we're giving a player of his caliber the single biggest role in this offense. Like the fact that this guy had 20 combined carries and targets, and you can't get Terry McLaurin, who was just toasting Desmond Trufant any freaking time they looked his way, you can't get him double digit targets. That's a problem. It's a problem that starts with the offensive staff utilizing McKissick in such a manner to force feed him targets. So, you know, in fantasy land, we got to look at this running back just getting more targets and pre much even Alvin Kamara at this point and continue to fire him up as the low-end RB2. I had him above Antonio Gibson this week. Gibson did come through with two touchdowns, but we look at the snaps and there was, there's McKissick, you know, 69% snaps. Gibson's only at 40%. Gibson had the 13 carries, but McKissick had eight and he stole a goal line touchdown from Gibson. So a situation where I think both guys to some extent could be uh, realistic fantasy options here moving forward. And by realistic, I mean like legit top 24. You want to play these guys because, hey, Alex Smith, 19 combined targets to the RBs, and we're getting some solid rush attempts uh, workload as well. So, hey, you know, it's unfortunate that we can't have Gibson getting all this work and being a true RB1, but I think both these guys will be, you know, kind of in that RB2 range here moving forward. With the Lions, though, DeAndre Swift season, everybody, 71% snaps, 16 carries, 5 targets. We had 8 AP. 13% snaps, Karon Johnson 16%. They combined for just five carries. So this was, we've seen Swift have these sort of snap counts, but they've all come in games where they were facing, you know, negative game script and he's their pass down back, so he was out there more. The fact that Lions built this lead, kept going with Swift, was so good to see. And as they should, because this guy looked absolutely fantastic out there this game. He had a sick hurdle. He had one big play after another. He looked so explosive with the ball in his hands. I don't think I was more impressed by any running back in Week 10 than DeAndre Swift. And, you know, we had the pregame report coming out that they were going to make him the starter. It does seem like this is what they want for him moving forward. So it's a little bit similar to that situation that we saw Miles Sanders have last year. You know, a rookie that flashed, couldn't get the big-time role. In Sanders' case, it took a Jordan Howard injury for that to kind of come to fruition for him. But in this case, it looks like the Lions coaching staff finally, after nine weeks of action, just realized what they have in Swift. So with this sort of role, we could look at Swift as a legit RB1 moving forward. We've been hesitant in saying that on this podcast because it was like, why are they going to bench AP and Karon Johnson if they haven't done it by now? Why did they ever give Adrian Peterson that big of a role when he wasn't even on the freaking roster until the first week of September? Whatever. Let bygones be bygones. Let bygones be bygones. DeAndre Swift moving forward is a legit fancy RB1 with this type of role. 
Looking at the wide receivers, mentioned Terry McLaurin had nine targets, caught seven of them for 95 yards. Absolutely cooking true font, you know. Second, I, I'm in Cincinnati recording at the PFF Studios, but second I get home to my uh, film laptop, I'm going to be cutting up some absolute route running goodness from McLaurin. Truly one of the more talented receivers in the league. I was worried with Alex Smith under center, you know, starting off because it's just so much of the passing game was going to McKissick. But I think, you know, seeing this evidence of the past two weeks of Smith still able to enable McLaurin or just, able, you know, him being able to exist with within the two, three seconds to get the ball to McLaurin, and then he does everything else. Has been great to see McLaurin also pitched in a 27-yard rush attempt. I mean, this guy with the ball in his hands is absolutely spectacular, and he's just a complete uh, wide receiver as well. So awesome stuff from Terry McLaurin. He's going to be right around that, you know, top 12 mark moving forward week in and week out. Uh, Cam Sims, this guy just keeps racking up yards after the catch. I think the reason why him and Isaiah Wright have been having these games is more of a factor of Alex Smith having to throw so much. So still hesitant in trusting these guys as too much in, in the way of fantasy options but I do think you know Sims does deserve some credit for this yak goodness he's been showing off in recent weeks with the Lions, we have Marvin Jones catch 8 of 10 targets for 96 yards and a score. Mentioned Marvin Hall at a long touchdown. Other than that, nobody had over 5 targets. That includes TJ Hawkinson, who had just 2 catches for 13 yards. Banged up all week with a toe injury. Tight end's a mess, everybody. It seemed like Hawkinson was maybe someone that we could rely on a little bit more moving forward, but unfortunately, that does not look like it's going to be the case. So, you know, with uh, Marvin Jones, he's going to be, you know, in that top 30 discussion as long as Kenny Galladay's out, but just realize that, again, this Lions passing game is not at ceiling without Kenny Galladay I truly think it's a situation where you know a lot of offenses okay you lose your wide receiver one maybe the wide receiver two can take a step forward just in terms of volume but in this offense I think Marvin Jones almost benefits more from having Kenny Galladay in the fold because of the extra attention it takes away from him and then what he's able to do against the defense is you know complimentary cornerback so good game for Marvin just not something I'm expecting too often here moving forward PFF Lily matchup stats. So talked about this a little bit. Alex Smith's average target depth last week, season low 3.5 yards. And that's not just Alex Smith's season low. That was the lowest mark in the entire league for a single season, uh, entire league for a single week. Now, this week, Alex Smith, 6.2 yards average target depth. That is not good still. Like, that is still very low. But that is literally almost double what he had the week before and is a legit number for an NFL quarterback. So that will do. He had three big-time throws. He only had just one all season before that. And perhaps most importantly, zero turnover-worthy plays. Last week, he threw three picks, and they were all on him. They were usually erratic, overthrowing, you know, J.D. McKissick. This week, did a much better job taking care of the ball. So, again, you know, I'm, I'm trying to evolve my opinion every single week on these guys as we get more information we're going to adjust the opinion that's how you should approach anything in life so you know if I was holding on to my priors I would still be bashing Derek Carr every single day on this podcast but we evolve we take in new information I tip my hat to Alex Smith I'm playing a much better game in this one Moving on, we got the Buccaneers beating the Panthers down. Excuse me, we were going to first go with the Packers defeating the Jaguars. Got to take my jacket off because I'm getting so freaking hyped talking about these games. And now we got Devontae Adams' season to go through. Uh, yeah, so Packers 24, Jaguars 20. This was a game that was a lot closer, I think, than people were anticipating. But at the same time, like I think Aaron Rodgers has set the bar so high for himself at this point that it's almost like what can't he do and when he doesn't do everything we almost take it away from him because you know seeing the reaction off of this one it was almost like oh what happened to Packers here are they you know they're one of the you know a bad bad seven and two team as you know weird as that sounds to say but at the end of the day Rodgers 325 passing yards two touchdowns also scored a rushing touchdown for the trouble 
beautiful 78-yard deep ball touchdown to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Also had a, a touchdown nullified to Devontae Adams that was 22 yards and awesome job just putting it over the linebackers. So truly fantastic game from Rodgers. Keeps on balling. I think the standard is so high that even when he goes into you know a windy setting in uh, Green Bay, he's a- able to overcome it in flying colors. Still not high enough for some people. So I know this matchup, I mean, we could have expected Rodgers to throw for 600 yards if it was, you know, truly uh, n- no weather issues against this Jaguars, just atrocious secondary. But, you know, don't be hating on Rodgers for going out there, getting the win. I-, I get it. You know, good teams win, great teams cover. It wasn't a great performance by the Packers. But just realize, you know, as Rodgers said himself, you know, about kind of his down seasons being career years for most guys, Aaron Rodgers down weeks in fantasy football and real life football, obviously, a lot of times are great weeks for other quarterbacks on the Jaguar side of the ball the Jake Luton experience uh, definitely took a downturn this week 18 for 35 169 yards one touchdown one very bad interception also took three sacks so look DJ Chark had a 21 yard uh, catch and he also had a deep ball that you know without the wind I think Luton could have put it on him for a potential 50 plus yard touchdown but other than that nobody had a gain of at least 20 yards or more on this Jaguars offense. So issues, you know, with the weather, I think we can somewhat throw this out, but still Jair Alexander was out. I mean, this was a game that the Jaguars had chances to stay in, had chances to maybe not win, but at least really make it more competitive than they already did. Weren't quite able to do so. You know, we had Keelan Cole going out there, returning a pump for a touchdown, and then he caught the touchdown. That was like this 13-yard slant, and it was a good throw and everything, but it was one of those where there were a whole lot of defenders in that area, and this time uh, Keelan Cole came down with it. But, you know, on his interception, you kind I saw a similar type of pass and it didn't quite go that way so not great from Jake Luton you know hey it makes sense that the Jaguars with this roster can't enable consecutive six-round quarterbacks with too much success the good news is we've seen enough from him to realize that he can hand the ball to James Robinson and he can throw the ball to DJ Chark well enough that will do in fantasy land beyond those guys I don't think there's anyone else we want to concern ourselves with in Jacksonville looking at these backfields Aaron Jones is back in action played 65% snaps uh, 13 carries 6 targets I know he was back there last week but Jamal Williams was back in action 47% snaps 8 carries 4 targets this is life in the Green Bay backfield we all wish Aaron Jones would get this dominant 80-90% snap role because he looks like one of the best runners running backs on a week-by-week basis and he has looked like one of those for the past three four years but with Jamal Williams he's solid too I love the way that I love the way this guy runs physical is all hell and everything but it's more of a testament to Aaron Jones's greatness than it is you know an indictment on Jamal Williams about why we want to quote-unquote free Aaron Jones this performance you know wasn't a huge one from Aaron he did have a nice five catches for 49 yards but you know being as chalky as he was in DFS would have liked to see him find the end zone this was just a matter of where I think you know you simulate this game a hundred times and the amount of times that Jones is going to finish scoreless few and far in between but that was the reality this week so moving forward we will continue to treat Aaron Jones as a legit RB1 Jamal Williams very good handcuff I mean we saw that they're willing to give him that sort of feature role when Aaron Jones is out but not someone that's going to have week-to-week standalone value Great game from James Robinson, 23 carries, 109 yards, also dominated snap share at 82% snaps, and he had four targets. Last week, he only had one target. We were a little bit concerned about, you know, what was going to happen with Jake Luton under center, but it does seem like that James Robinson, still a big part of their passing plans, could have been such a bigger game, though. He had two rushing touchdowns, not one, two rushing touchdowns nullified by penalty against, you know, the shaky Packers rush defense. And, I mean, the first one I thought was, okay, maybe, maybe it doesn't happen, you know, without the holding penalty, but the second one was pretty iffy. And both times that Robinson was breaking some tackles on his way to the end zone. So the guy continues to look the part of an RB1. He's been an RB1 all season. And guess what? We will continue to treat James' RB1 son as an RB1 moving forward. 
quickly with these receivers. Uh, Devontae Adams mentioned how he had a touchdown nullified by penalty. Still found a way to get another one right around the goal line. Beautiful just route, you know, kind of baited the baited the cornerback to think he was going inside while Rodgers was doing some Houdini stuff with the football. Broke back out, and Rodgers put it on him for six. So good stuff by him on the 12 targets. He'll continue to be the overall wide receiver one here moving forward. Marquez Valdez-Scantling caught four or six targets for 149 yards and a score. He is a boom or bust wide receiver that has been booming lately, but realize Alan Lazard seemingly very close to returning. Couldn't get out there this week, but I think once Lazard is back, that is going to lead to some more, you know, bust than usual for MVS. So good stuff this week, but just realize with these sort of field stretching wide receivers and all the air yards and the kind of ups and downs that go along with it, tough to expect too consistent up production there. Uh, with the Jaguars, Chris Conley had a team high eight targets. Chark five, Keelan Cole seven. Wasn't the exactly kind of overwhelming passing performance we were hoping for. I think a lot of that had to do with the wind. I mean, Luton only completed 18 of 35 passes. But look, it's DJ Chark's world. He is the alpha number one wide receiver in Jacksonville. Again, caught four or five targets. He looked great running some of these underneath and intermediate routes. I think he's similar to DK Metcalf just in that we don't really praise his route running because, okay, he's not, you know, this Keenan Allen type, just amazing route runner, but he's so fast and he's so physical and he can be so physical. He's just got a really big body. It's hard for some of these cornerbacks to stay with him that because you got to be worried about those attributes, he is able to run some uh, cleaner routes in the underneath areas of the field that, that I think people give him credit for. So Chark, you know, going in this week, he was number one in air yards over, over the previous month. I don't think that's going to change here uh, after seeing, you know, the numbers rolling after this one, he's going to continue to be an upside wide receiver two moving forward. PFF Lily matchup stats. So Devontae Adams has had 11 uh, in his last 11 healthy games, including playoffs. Absolutely madness, people. 103 yards in the score, 116 yards, 93 yards in the score, 160 yards in two scores, 138 yards, 156 yards in two scores, 61 yards. Credit to you, Carlton Davis. Uh, 196 yards in two scores, 53 yards in three scores, 173 yards in a score, and most recently, 66 yards in a score. The stretch of games we have seen Devontae Adams put on from the second half of 2019 right into 2020 has been absolutely spectacular. Credit to DeAndre Hopkins on his incredible Hail Mary catch today, but don't get it twisted. Devontae Adams, number one fantasy wide receiver at the position moving forward. Buccaneers were able to beat the Panthers 46-23. This was a fun game. Teddy Bridgewater was keeping things close. Unfortunately, he suffered a knee injury. Not too serious. Not believed to be too serious, but wanted to keep our eyes on that. The man of the hour was Tom Brady. Completed 28 of 39 passes for 341 yards and a trio of touchdowns. So what was so wild about this game was the Buccaneers put up 46 points and didn't even seem to reach kind of their offensive upside. I mean, there was not one, not two, but potentially three 50-plus yard touchdowns that Brady just couldn't connect on. The first one was to Antonio Brown. Had him wide open, you know, had a bunch of air, a bunch of field to lead him potentially. Just sailed it way over his head and kind of towards the safety. Mike Evans had a long touchdown that Brady wasn't able to put him on. And then even Rob Gronkowski found his way. Brady had enough time for Gronk to run 50 yards downfield. This one was a little iffy. I understand if you just want to say, you know, it had to be a perfect pass for it to be a touchdown. I don't necessarily blame Brady for that one, but at least two long ones. And then you look in the red zone and Mike Evans a couple of these he did come down with one uh, touchdown inside the 10 yard line but could have had another one or two so truly I mean I know Brady only had uh, 11 incompletions I don't want to say that he had this bad game he didn't he was fantastic but the fact that even on these incompletions like we're seeing the yards that are being left on the field in this high-flying offense absolutely wild stuff and this is more what we were expecting to see 
from this Buccaneers offense. I know the Saints game was just so atrocious last Sunday night, but again, moving forward with this Buccaneers offense, even if none of these guys are getting the targets that we necessarily, you know, would love to see in fantasy land, there's so much firepower to go around that we're going to continue to see this sort of high-end efficiency more weeks than not. So look, the deep ball has not been an issue for Brady throughout this year. This is not, you know, a 2015 Peyton Manning, his arms turned to a noodle, nothing like that. We've seen a great deep ball all season from Brady. I expect him to hit more of those moving forward. And hey, even if he freaking doesn't 341 yards and three touchdowns people so if this is truly Brady's floor with this unit I know the Saints game is his floor but if this is his floor when he's playing relatively well look the hell out with the Carolina Panthers, mentioned uh, Teddy got hurt. Before he got hurt, 136 yards and two touchdowns with a pick. We were still seeing him just dink and dunk a little too much, and this kind of came out last week. Once McCaffrey came back, we saw Bridgewater put together his lowest average target depth of the season, also averaged his fewest yards per attempt. And, hey, you know, they almost knocked off the Chiefs. You don't need to throw downfield to have success. I understand this, but when you have wide receivers like DJ Moore, like Robbie Anderson, you would at least like the quarterback to look downfield first and then come down to your running back when the play kind of calls for it. But – and this one, we saw DJ Moore create the big plays. Great 38-yard catch down the sideline that, hey, if Teddy leads him a little more, he might have been in the end zone because he roasted Carlton Davis on the play. Also had a 40-yard catch that ended up being overturned. They ruled it wasn't a completion. Other than that, no Panthers receiver or running back had a catch go for even 10 yards in this one. So they just could not create explosive plays in the pass game and the run game. Only DJ Moore had a play gain over 10 yards. I mean, it's just only so much that guy can do. DJ Moore did have a touchdown on a nice little tunnel screen. It's like, why don't you get this guy some more screens? I'm not trying to take anything away from Robbie Anderson. He's played great this year. But the fact that it's been such kind of a Robbie as the underneath and intermediate guy and DJ Moore being typecasted at this field stretcher, hey, you can mix it up a little bit. Both these guys are alpha wide receiver ones in my mind. Why not let them both, you know, kind of have that full route tree? So, you know, good, great stuff from DJ Moore. Good to see him bounce back. Hopefully Teddy is healthy. He has been playing, you know, good football more times than not this year. With this Panthers team, you know, they're 3-7 and seven now, but I still do think their offense has, uh, you know, looked really good. Some of the things Joe Brady has done. I still think the future is bright for this passing game in Carolina. Uh, looking at these backfields, we had Mike Davis only play 51% of the offensive snaps. He had seven carries, five targets. I think part of that was he suffered a wrist injury at one point. He kind of lead the game. But, you know, we saw Rodney Smith get in there for 19% snaps. Trenton Cannon, 11%. Curtis Samuel had five total snaps in the backfield. They're not just giving, you know, Mike Davis every last single snap. So it's a situation where I think, you know, you look at these games where he hasn't been playing as well. I think it's more due to volume. I mean, the Panthers only had 16 team rush attempts and 28 total pass attempts. So it's not like Mike Davis is just, you know, being outtouched by another running back on his own team or anything like that. More so, I think just he's getting caught up in some bad game scripts. It's unfortunate they've kind of come uh, back to back to back to back when he's been out there. But I still think, you know, with McCaffrey uh, potentially being out here for another week, we'll see. Seems like he's kind of 50-50. Mike Davis will be someone that, while he's not going to be in the top five, top six, uh, still going to be hard to rank, you know, more than 12 running backs ahead of him as long as you're remains this offense's undisputed lead back. On the Buccaneers side of things, Ronald Jones week, everybody. 57% snaps, 23 carries, two targets. Leonard Fournette was down to 38%, eight carries, and three targets. Ronald Jones busted a 98-yard touchdown run. Looked like he was going to be hawked at one point. He was not. Showed off that long speed and looked good doing so. And, hey, if you want to be one of those haters that say, oh, you know, you take away the one awesome play that he made and he wasn't so good, fine. Take it away. He still had 22 carries for what would it be? 
88, 90 yards, something like that. 23 carries, 192 yards, and a touchdown on the day. So even if you want to be a dick and take away a 98-yard touchdown run, again, Ronald Jones was picking up, you know, some nice gashes throughout the game. He fumbled early on, and I was joking on Twitter about Bruce Arians probably benching him, not because I thought he should bench him, but just because we've seen that over the past two years. When Rojo makes a mistake, usually Arians has shown a pretty short leash, but went back to the well, was one of the first guys, you know, give Rojo a thump on the helmet after that long touchdown run. Hopefully this means that Rojo can, you know, get some more regular run moving forward. Only problem is people, like we've seen this week after week after week, just when you think the Tampa Bay backfield is set, it's not, it gets turned up inside its head. And I just think that, you know, this probably isn't going to be the same situation moving forward. You look at the last few weeks and Leonard Fournette was the guy. And I understand this was definitely the best game we've seen out of the Buccaneers back all season. Ronald Jones has continued to start even through some of his struggles. So I think he'll continue to get the chance to be the guy. We didn't see as, you know, much of an emphasis on throwing targets to the running backs. So yeah, I'm going to be dropping Fournette in my rankings next week. You know, I've kind of had him in that top 20 thinking he could be the lead back that also gets a pass down role. So even if that's not coming to fruition, just realize that, you know, Rojo, still a situation where we can't exactly expect 20 plus touches per week by any stretch of the imagination so this is a pass first offense it's a high scoring offense rojo is going to be a viable you know low end rb2 upside rb3 uh with you know even just half of this sort of usage but just don't get too carried away and be firing up this guy as a confident RB1 or anything, even though that's what he was this week. Uh, quickly looking at the wide receivers, Mike Evans had a team-high 11 targets. Antonio Brown was in second with eight, and Chris Goblin had six. So it was good to see no, no one else had over three targets in the Buccaneers. So Brady really honed in on his top three wide receivers, and all three guys had good games to show for it. So I do continue to think that Antonio Brown will probably be a number one more times than not. I mean, Mike Evans, just, you know, we haven't seen the chemistry there. Brady's fed him, you know, double-digit targets in both games against the Panthers now, but we also have, you know, what, seven other weeks of him not feeding Evans anything close to 10 targets. So I still think that, you know, Evans, they view him more as this red zone guy, Goblin more as, you know, a low dot slot type, and AB probably as the alpha wide receiver one. So, uh, you know, we'll see him moving forward, but either way for all three of these guys, I think we can kind of comfortably rank them as top 25, top 26 options at the position because, again, this was not Brady's best game. And they still put up 46 points. This offense can score at any time. Uh, with the Panthers, you know, mentioned this passing game, just not having any sort of success in creating big plays. But DJ Moore, team high, seven targets. Robbie, six. Curtis Samuel, five. You know, talked about the big Curtis Samuel game last week, more or less coming from Teddy having that season high, 49 pass attempts. He's a great player. I love watching him out there, you know, get some running back snaps. And particularly with McCaffrey out, that's going to be a bigger part of his game. But I just think moving forward, it's DJ Moore, it's Robbie Anderson. Both these guys are going to be wide receiver twos more weeks than not. And, you know, DJ is going to be a little bit more volatile than Robbie, but we also see that higher ceiling to accompany with it. Um, let's see, any other thoughts here? Mentioned the missed throws from Brady. Think we are good. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stats. So Tom Brady is playing fantastic. Don't let those two Saints games kind of confuse that because his 89.8 PFF passing grade, that's his highest since 2018. 26 big-time throws already this year. That's already more than he had in all of 2019 where he was just at 23 and pretty, pretty close to what he had in 2018 with 29 total big-time throws. His adjusted completion rate is 74.1%. That's highest mark since 2016 and most impressively he's doing all this with a 9.9 yard average target depth that is the second highest mark of his career so we are truly seeing Tom Brady you know wine ages like Tom Brady because this dude no matter how old he gets continues keeping on you know he's said for years that he wants to play until he's 45 truly seems like he can play till he's 45 who knows when this guy can stop playing because the physical ability to do so has not gone anywhere 
The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet, they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odd, odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Moving right on here, we have the Dolphins defeating the Chargers 29-21. Credit to Tua. Guy's got another win. 3-0 as a starter. Looking good. Just realize he's not being asked to do very much, people. Tua, you know, hey, that's great. He's not being asked to do much, and he's not messing it up. Zero interceptions, zero sacks, zero fumbles. That's great. That's winning football. Credit to him. Win is a win is a win. Still, he's still 22-28 and now 25 pass attempts in these three games. He just hasn't been relied on. He hasn't been needed to be relied on. And, hey, that's not taking anything away from him in real life. But in fantasy, going to be hard to get behind this. Credit to him for throwing two touchdowns. One to Keem Grant, another one to uh, Durham Smythe. Had a potential touchdown Devontae Parker. He wasn't able to come down with, but the drive still ended with one to Jakeem Grant. So I'm not saying Tua's going these whole games without making good throws. He had one rolling out to his left that was just perfect, you know, squeezed between a couple defenders, went over another one's outstretched arms. We've seen some flashes since that Rams game. They can be a legit NFL quarterback, but just in this version of the Dolphins offense and just their team, they want to win, run the ball, and with defense. So Tua, you know, hey, great job with the wins, but don't be coming out and trying to say that he's been having a better rookie year than Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow just because of these wins, you know, I think judging quarterbacks purely on wins is not, you know, a winning formula. Judging quarterbacks on anything, on just one individual stat, of course that's not a good formula. But wins, like anything else, they're a piece of the puzzle. They do not tell the whole story. Uh, with Justin Herbert, this was, you know, kind of the floor game. Talked about on the podcast, maybe this being a trap game for him going across the country to Miami playing this tough defense. But, hey, if this is the floor game for Justin Herbert, we are just fine with that in fantasy land. Only threw for 187 yards, but two touchdowns through the air and also chipped in 10 yards and a score on the ground. So Justin Herbert now, again, he's going to be in the top 10 of the fantasy QB ranks every single week, probably more top eight. I mean, truly, going into this game, no rookie QB in NFL history was averaging more fantasy points per game as a rookie in there, you know, than Justin Herbert. So this guy has been playing great all season long. Didn't quite have it in him this week, but again, if this is the sort of production he puts up in a losing, you know, bad, quote-unquote, bad effort, we will take that in fantasy land. Looking at these backfields, we had Kalen Balage lead the way over Joshua Kelly. 73% snaps for Kalen, uh, only 27% for Joshua Kelly. Remember when Joshua Kelly was supposed to be the reason why Austin Eckler wasn't going to do anything? Hmm. 
Funny, funny how that works. But anyway, uh, Balaj had 18 carries, six targets. Kelly had just seven carries. Balaj didn't do much with this. I mean, 68 scoreless yards. And they even asked Herbert after the game, like, how come you guys run the ball so much on early downs? He pretty much said that was part of the game plan. So it is frustrating to see, you know, Herbert not really get the most help from his teammates, from his scheme. And it kind of is a testament to just how well he has played, the fact he's been able to overcome that. But, you know, it does sound like that with this, with this uh, LAC backfield, you know, when, when are guys going to be getting back? Austin Eckler's out here on Twitter saying the time is near. You know, we got Justin Jackson. He's been banged up. We got Troy Man Pope, who just wasn't really involved in this one, even though he was able to clear concussion protocol. I still think this could be a week-to-week thing. Kalen Balazs is not going to be someone that, you know, I'm going to be recommending you spend a high amount of fab on because, again, this backfield, if we learn one thing without Austin Eckler in the picture this year with the Chargers, it is that this backfield, you know, has the chance to just be turned over on its head during any given week. So don't, you know, be chasing all this, you know, kind of volume from Kalen Balazs. Again, I do not think it's necessarily here to stay. Looking at some of these, uh, excuse me, with the Miami Dolphins, Salvin Ahmed, oh my goodness, 77% snaps, 21 carries, one target. Jordan Howard was a healthy scratch in this one, even with Matt Breida out with the hamstring injury still. So Patrick Laird, 16% snaps, DeAndre Washington only 7%. Again, it's just similar to LA where I just don't know that we have enough here to assume that uh, Salvin Ahmed is going to be, you know, the guy moving forward. Hey, he had 85 rushing yards and a touchdown. He looked fine enough, but truly looks like, you know, as replaceable of a back as he's seemingly been because he came out of nowhere to kind of take on this role. Miles Gaskin seemingly will be back at some point. Again, doesn't seem like Matt Breed is too far off. We don't know if Jordan Howard is going to be a weekly healthy scratch or if that was just a one-week thing. Uh, you know, Salvin, hey, if you want to pick him up for a low amount of fab and just kind of have him as a guy where if we get back here, you know, this time next Dolphins game and he's still looking like the league guy, okay, we can fire him up as a potential low-end volume-based RB2, but I just have my doubts on that. You know, coming to fruition with a lot of these injured guys, not being quite as injured as we're thinking so good game from uh you know Ahmed but I just don't think that we should be you know expecting these sort of 70% snap rates consistently moving forward looking at these receivers like Keenan Allen had only three catches for 39 yards and a score he got lucky he had that score because the play before Mike Williams was wide open in the end zone and Justin Herbert just sailed it on him so got this got the touchdown to uh, Keenan Allen on the next play but this was a game that you know was really really close to being uh, almost a shutout for this entire passing game uh, you know uh, Hunter Henry was able to break his uh, scoreless streak he had one touchdown earlier in the year but only his second one all year and it was just the fact that Herbert was throwing so many touchdowns in these random other tight ends that Henry wasn't getting his it seems so weird we knew he was going to bounce back eventually and Henry is going to be you know a top 10 tight end in fantasy land uh, more weeks than not here moving forward just a tough game I mean credit Xavier Howard making a bunch of good plays Byron Jones obviously a stud in his own right this was a tough matchup we have seen quarterbacks you know struggle against this Miami Dolphins defense really all year long unless you're Kyler Murray and because of that you know don't get it twisted. Justin Herbert and these guys, they're going to you know, get back, I think, to putting up the sort of fantasy production that we've seen for most of the year before this matchup. Uh, with the Dolphins, Devontae Parker, team high seven targets, but just two catches, 31 yards. Had an amazing one-handed uh, touchdown that was originally called a touchdown, but uh, when they uh, reviewed it, he wasn't able to come down inbounds. So unfortunate there. He does seem like the number one guy, even though Jakeem Grant led the way with four catches, 443 yards, and a score himself. But, you know, situation where Antonio Callaway was a uh, – 
Antonio Callaway is now in the picture with Preston Williams' sideline, so we could see him more moving forward. Mike Jasicki continued to be involved at five targets. It's just not a very high-volume passing game in Miami at the moment. So even though Devontae you know, certainly has all the attributes of a number one wide receiver, uh, particularly when he's healthy, he's a guy that's going to be you know, way more of a boom or bust wide receiver three with limited boom potential uh, than kind of that you know, borderline wide receiver one even that he's kind of been producing as with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center over the years. Um, PFF Lilly matchup stat here. So Justin Herbert this season, again, I mentioned, you know, going in this week, most fantasy points per game ever among rookie QBs. This season, Justin Herbert has thrown for at least 300 yards and or scored three touchdowns in every single game. So again, he did not play well in this one. We saw kind of that rookie floor game, but in fantasy land, even Justin Herbert's floor games are fantastic. Thank you, as always, for sticking around, everybody. We have six more matchups to go over. Next one, we got the Raiders defeating the Broncos 37-12. Derek Carr season. You know, if you come onto this podcast, you've heard me talking up Derek Carr this year. You know why I'm talking up Derek Carr? Because the guy is playing well. And before you look at this, you know, 154 yards, scoreless effort, only 25 pass attempts, and you just say, oh, you know, way to ride Josh Jacobs to the victory, Derek Carr. No, don't be that person. Be the smart person that points out that Derek Carr had Nelson Aguilar drop, drop a red zone touchdown. He had Darren Waller drop a 55-yard walk-in touchdown. And he had another uh, deep pass go through Henry Ruggs' hands. So the Ruggs one, I think this would have been 20 or 30 yards. Wasn't going to be a score, but... Again, Carr did more than enough in this spot to kind of continue to warrant maybe not as much borderline QB1 usage because this Raiders team, as we're seeing, like they're not bad. And then games that they're able to get up and run the ball, they are going to do that. We're not going to get that kind of fancy-friendly volume that we want from Carr. But just realize the guy is playing football at a high level. Put some respect on your name, even if you're a silly person like me. And look, I don't even want to say that it was silly not like to be hating on Carr over past years because he wasn't playing as well as he is now, even during his fraudulent 20. 2016 MVP campaign. Go look at his passing metrics in that, you know, again, a year where he was a legit MVP candidate. Go look at his passing metrics and you see anyone's idea of an average quarterback despite the wins and losses. This year, I truly think we're seeing someone not afraid to throw downfield, particularly with Henry Ruggs in action. And because of that, it's helped open up the entire offense. Other side of the ball, Drew Locke, not good. I love watching Drew Locke play because he's kind of like Josh Allen and that he thinks that every single play, you know, is possible. And it's like Drew Locke, I'm not sure, you know, other than straight throwaways, I'm not sure there's ever been a ball he's thrown that he did not think was going to be completed. Uh, you know, a little bit unfortunate for him. He had a rushing touchdown that uh, ended up being nullified on a holding penalty by Noah Fant. Seemed pretty unnecessary, but very next play, he uh, tried to force one into the end zone and was intercepted. But, you know, if that was his only pick of the game, maybe we can give him a little more slack unfortunately he threw four interceptions also took two sacks so this was a bad game from him you know they entered him uh, they entered the fourth quarter right where they wanted to be down multiple scores like they were the past two weeks but we didn't see a uh, lock able to kind of work that same late game magic so kind of funny how that works everyone you know entering the fourth quarter every week down multiple touchdowns not the best game plan it turns out but uh you know with lock he's erratic he's a boom or bust Jekyll and Hyde quarterback we're continuing to see that you know hey against the Falcons and stuff it's worked out great and he's been able to put up useful fantasy performances we still saw in this one he was able to you know feed Jerry Judy KJ Hamler Tim Patrick I mean he was able to give these guys decent enough performances just realize you know there's a very low floor for everyone involved in this offense in its current construction 
looking at these backfields, Josh Jacobs led the way for the Raiders, 61% snaps, 21 carries. He converted those into 112 yards and two scores. Also had four targets. A low-key injury on this game was Jalen Richard suffering a chest injury, and we saw Josh Jacobs kind of working as the lead pass down back at that point. So this could be huge, everybody. If Jalen Richard is legit out, we were talking about Josh Jacobs as a top six fantasy back. And hey, you know what? I have not gone through the exact ranks for next week. So if he's seventh or eighth, I apologize. But truly, you know, the only thing that's been keeping Jacobs from being this top, top high quality back is this sort of consistent pass game usage. They were doing more of it earlier in the year, but they've gotten away from it recently. I'm not sure why Jalen Richard is the reason why uh, Josh Jacobs isn't getting these targets. Richard's fine. I'm not trying to hate on him, but we saw from Jacobs in this game. I mean, he caught a pass and broke two tackles and was able to pick up eight yards when it looked like he was only going to get two. I mean, just getting the ball in Jacobs' hands has been great. It's not like he's egregiously dropping passes or anything like that. I really wish they would treat him as a three-down back. They talked about him being when they drafted him and really ever since. Um, on the uh, Broncos' side of the ball, Melvin Gordon. This was a great game for Melvin Gordon, surprisingly, and he has not really looked good all year long. He had the big game against the Jets, but just more times than not, it's been – him struggling to kind of get just get free and you know the Broncos offensive line hasn't helped matters their passing game's been inconsistent but also we see Melvin Gordon just ranking towards the bottom and some pass game efficiency stuff and just you know more evidence than not that Melvin Gordon certainly is not helping the problem even if he isn't the full problem this game was awesome though breaking tackles looking elusive only ended up with 11 carries for 46 yards so I understand if you had him on your fantasy team you're probably not sharing the same optimism that I am with him but just realize in this game Melvin Gordon played much better with Philip Lindsay really taking this big of a back seat I mean Gordon could be someone that we treat, you know, as more of a volume-based, low-end RB2 moving forward. Again, low floor for everybody involved in this offense, but this was an encouraging performance from Gordon. Uh, looking at these receivers, mentioned Darren Waller, you know, team-high five targets, but dropped that 55-yard potential score. That one hurt. Still caught three of them for 37 yards, but in a week with, you know, no Kelsey, no Kittle. We're expecting more from, you know, fantasy's consensus. Tight end one, he's still going to be the tight end two once Kelsey gets back. I mean, don't get it twisted. We just don't see hardly any other tight ends in the league that actually function as their offense's number one weapon in the passing game, but could have been a much bigger game from him. Henry Ruggs had four targets, caught three of them for 31 yards, one of which was a nice little off-script uh, play with Carr. The more they can get him involved in just regular underneath intermediate stuff, I think the better it's going to be for this offense. He is not a one-trick pony, everyone. Don't get that twisted. Uh, disappointing game from Nelson Aguilar only catching one pass for eight yards we've seen much better performances from him throughout this year don't give up on him just yet but we are starting to see brian edwards get more involved again i do think rugs if anybody is going to be the wide receiver owned in oak in las vegas it's going to be rugs here in 2020 with the uh, broncos Jerry Judy, four catches for 68 yards. Tim Patrick, four catches, 61 yards. K.J. Hamler, four catches, 50 yards. And Deshaun Hamilton, four catches, 33 yards and a score. All had at least six targets. I mean, I don't think it's going to be this condensed in the future. I still think Judy is the number one guy. But just an example that we still don't really know what's happening fully in this, you know, still evolving Broncos offense. So Judy, route running looked as pristine as ever. Guy is a stud, but uh, probably going to, you know, I might have gotten a little overzealous ranking him as a top 20 guy this week. Probably going to be more of an upside wide receiver three moving forward um other notes here hunter renfro had a punt return touchdown nullified yeah hunter renfro returning punts for the las vegas raiders who knew and who knew that he was more than just a fair catch guy so kudos to him for making that play although it did not count uh mentioned the Aguilar and waller drops um also yeah 
Ruggs had a deep 20-yard-plus uh, target go through his hands, and Drew Locke had that rushing touchdown nullified. So disappointing all around. So many nullified touchdowns this week. Uh, just heartbreaking moments for fantasy football managers around the globe. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat. So this is a good one. This is maybe my favorite stat I got on this podcast for all of you. Since Henry Ruggs returned in Week 5, Derek Carr is an average target depth of 9.2 yards. That is tied for ninth among 39 quarterbacks with at least 25 dropbacks in that sample. He is ahead of Josh Allen in terms of throwing downfield. I get it. Derek Carr, it's infuri- it's been in the past infuriating to watch this guy not throw downfield because he has the arm talent to do so. He looks good doing so. He just has historically refrained from doing so. He is not anymore. So get your, you know, captain check down jokes. Get him out of there for Derek Carr. This guy is throwing downfield with regularity ever since Ruggs has come back in the lineup. I know he's not always throwing it to Ruggs specifically, but just having that sort of fuel stretching presence on the field. We've seen it with Deshaun Jackson over the years. You know, we've seen it with Brandon Cooks still doing in Houston, just having someone with that sort of speed can help open up the offense. It can help encourage the quarterback to take chances they might have otherwise not. So Derek Carr, Henry Ruggs, the 6-3 and three Las Vegas Raiders continue to play well. Good stuff from them. Next game, we got the Cardinals defeating the Bills, probably the best game of the day, 32-30. to 30. Kyler freaking Murray with the play of the season, I'd say so far. Maybe I'm forgetting something, you know, just living in the moment a little too much, but Freaking 43-yard game-winning touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins on a Hail Mary. The fact that Kyler, like, the only play I can really compare it to was that Aaron Rodgers uh, Hail Mary touchdown against the Cardinals in the playoffs way back when to Jeff Janis because Kyler takes a snap, rolls out to his left, you know, has to contort his body to even get this thing into the end zone. 50-yard throw and falling out of bounds with two defenders all over him. Somehow, Kyler Murray freaking... Five foot five, I don't care what the combine says. Five foot five, Kyler Murray is able to get this ball all the way into the freaking end zone where DeAndre Hopkins skies up over not one, not two, but three defenders to pull it down. So the fact that Kyler Murray has that sort of arm talent, then you look at him run the ball. I mean, in this game, just more of the same 11 carries, 61 yards, two touchdowns, looks like the best athlete on the field. I mean, the fact that someone can be that short and have that big of an arm and be that much more athletic seemingly than anyone else running around the field truly is amazing. Shows you that size does not always matter. In certain things it does, but maybe not being a professional quarterback in the same manner that we thought. Look, this passing game, still not a work of art. And we've seen them, you know, kind of struggle a little bit throughout the year, just consistently get the passing game uh, flowing through anyone other than DeAndre Hopkins. You know, we saw Murray 22 for 32, 245 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Again, not, it wasn't a brilliant performance from start to finish by any stretch, but you know what? We got to give this guy credit for being the most dynamic rushing threat as well. You know, I get tired of when we compare Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson to these pocket passes. We look at the passing stats. We never seem to penalize guys like, you know, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady. We never say, hey, you know, they might be a better passer, but they give you nothing on the ground. I think we need to keep that in mind a little bit more about Kyler Murray because he's been playing like an MVP candidate for these last few weeks because a lot of this production has been on the ground. But you know what? If he's the most lethal freaking rushing threat, regardless of position, that should play into it, even if his passing numbers aren't quite at you know the same level as some of his peers. So awesome game from Kyler Murray. But Josh Allen, I mean, I think we'd be having a similar conversation around Josh Allen if Kyler doesn't hit that Hail Mary because the touchdown Josh Allen threw to Stephon Diggs to go ahead late in the fourth quarter was absolutely gorgeous. And we saw him you know, have big throw after big throw to Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, even John Brown a few times. Good game from Josh. I mean, he threw, he wasn't perfect. He threw two picks. We saw kind of uh, more than usual of these Josh Allen decisions that, uh, you know, people like me love because I'm not, you know, I'm not a Bills fan, so I'm just watching this for entertainment purposes. So when Josh Allen 
shrugs off two tackles and you know decides to just kind of randomly chuck the ball over his head and it happens to be caught by who knows the offense or defense I enjoy moments like that even if it's not great for his development as an NFL quarterback so I felt like we got you know a few few more of those and uh, Bills fans probably would prefer this week but again you know they were just a just wild hail Mary away from capturing this victory over the Cardinals continue to play at a high level continue to expect more good things than not from real life Josh Allen and in terms of fantasy guys I mean come on we've known this Josh Allen, fantasy QB1, top six player at the position on a weekly basis. Don't get that twisted. With these backfields overturning Kenyon Drake, came back, rushed for 100 yards on 16 carries, and also played 51% snaps. But Chase Edmonds was right there with 50% snaps of his own, eight carries and three targets, had 56 carries, um, excuse me, 56 rushing yards on the eight carries, and also chipped in 21 receiving yards. So, you know, this is kind of the worst case scenario because we wanted one of these guys to take over. Now it's more split than ever. So credit to Kenyon Drake for making the most out of the opportunities this week, but it's going to be pretty tough to rank these guys inside the top 20 as long as it is this split. You know, Drake was one of these guys that was a volume-based RB2 when Edmonds was further out of the picture. Edmonds, we were looking at like, you know, true RB1 because he was getting the pass down work and the early down work when he was the main guy. But when they're both splitting at this type, that is not good for fantasy football business, everybody. Uh, Similar thing in Buffalo. I mean, we got Zach Moss playing 53% snaps, Devin Singletary 47%. The problem that makes this even worse is that we got Josh Allen, who does not like throwing to his running backs, and just like Kyler, he's willing to take off on the ground. But the Bills, I mean, go through way less. Uh, I mean, they care way less about getting these running backs carries than the Cardinals. So, you know, while while uh, Edmonds and Drake, hey, maybe they're still going to be in that 20 to 24 range, I don't think Moss or Singletary are going to be a top 25 back really moving forward this year, and that's going to be potentially even if one of them gets hurt because we got TJ Yeldon waiting in the wings to come in and step up for whoever goes down. So disappointing stuff from these guys because Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, I think both guys have flashed at different points this year and could be reliable fantasy backs if they have the opportunity. Unfortunately, they just don't have that opportunity. With some of these receivers, Cole Beasley caught 11 of 13 targets, 109 yards, and a touchdown. Absolutely cooked PPED Patrick Peterson on a uh, nice little out route. Took him out of the freaking screen. I mean, whenever we see this wide receiver cornerback close-up view and the receiver dekes the corner so hard that they exit the freaking television screen, that's the type of route running goodness we're looking for. And Cole Beasley had that. Also credit to Stephon Diggs for also cooking Patrick Peterson on a touchdown. Hey, you know, Peterson, he got an interception as well. And I'm not I'm not trying to give him too much crap, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, he's made his decisions and uh, that, those kind of – those kind of consequences come from it. So I'm sure he's got more than enough money to not care what, you know, some loser like me has to say about his uh, past decision to use PEDs. But you know what? Cole Beasley, Stefan Diggs, not the first guys to really take advantage of his coverage this season. He is not a cornerback. We need to fear in fantasy football land by any stretch of the imagination. Stefan Diggs is going to continue to be a top 10 weekly fantasy football wide receiver, closer to top five, uh, to be honest, with these sort of target numbers and Beasley, he was the guy this week, still John Brown other weeks, but we got to realize, you know, having anyone in this Bills passing game has been good for fantasy football business, and because of that, Beasley and Brown, you know, while maybe we were treating them as complete afterthoughts in past weeks, these are guys that can kind of be in that top 36, top 40 range, and, you know, maybe not super recommended starts, but you got some bye weeks, got some injuries, you can certainly do worse than someone associated with this offense. On the Cardinals side of the ball, DeAndre Hopkins, seven catches, 127 yards, and touchdown, 12 targets. Nobody else had over 40 yards. So Christian Kirk continued to be a number two guy in terms of targets, but 
We just need to kind of realize behind DeAndre Hopkins, there's not much consistency in this passing game. So Kirk, still going to be, you know, a boomer bust wide receiver three more weeks than not, but it's Hopkins. He's the overall wide receiver two behind only Devontae Adams behind him. Very tough to come by consistency in this passing game. Uh, only injury to note, John Brown suffered an ankle injury towards the end of the game. I didn't, it didn't seem too serious. I actually didn't see it happen. I just saw after the game that uh, it was a situation where he was being listed with the ankle injury. So pay attention to practice report. I know he's been playing through injuries all year. We'll see what happens there. PFF Lily matchup stat. So this one's pretty crazy, everyone. Kyler Murray this year has 388 rushing yards before contact. That is more total rushing yards than any other quarterback than Lamar Jackson. It's not just that Kyler is picking up these yards. He's picking up the yards, and no one's even laying a finger on him. I mean, that's what I mean when I'm saying he's the most athletic guy on the field. I fully understand every NFL player, whether they're starter, backup, freaking journeyman, every one of these guys is an incredible athlete. That's why they're in the NFL to begin with. But the fact that Kyler can run around so quickly and so agilely that you know no one can even touch him before he's picking up these yards, and he's doing it at a higher level than everyone other than the range. MVP. He's doing at a higher level in the reigning MVP just in terms of when we're using these yards before contact instead of actual just rushing yards. Absolutely wild. And again, Kyler Murray, one of these guys that might not have the same passing production as, you know, your Aaron Rodgers, your Patrick Mahomes, your Russell Wilson. But, you know, we got to give him more credit for these rushing, uh, for this rushing use because right now he's on pace to shatter Cam Newton's previous, uh, you know, season high mark for rushing touchdowns by a QB. And if the Cardinals keep on winning, Kyler Murray should have his name in that MVP conversation sooner rather than later. Next matchup, we had the Steelers beat down the Bengals 36 to 10. We'll try to go through this one a little bit quickly. Just wasn't really ever that close. And it was a disappointing performance from James Conner, but not so much from Ben Rossberger. 27 for 46, 333 yards and four touchdowns. Made some real nice throws. I mean, had a 46-yard completion of Deontay Johnson. That was maybe, in my opinion, his best throw of the entire season. But Big Ben, they've been asking him to put his foot on the gas more in recent weeks, and he's responded accordingly. So, it's never really been a situation this year where we've been afraid to play Big Ben because of necessarily what he's showing in terms of arm talent and ability, but they just asked him to be more of a game manager. At least we're doing so more early in the season. So they've been getting away from the run more and more. I mean, the fact they won this game 36-10 only had 20 carries as a team, I mean, tells you how much they trust Ben to just kind of get the ball out of his hands. So more and more, I think we're seeing Deontay Johnson almost being used as an extension of the of the run game with some of his short ADOT uh, stuff. He's a complete wide receiver, don't get me wrong. Again, mentioned that 46-yard deep one he had before, but you know, I've been kind of hesitant in treating Roethlisberger as a fantasy QB1 because of the volume concerns, but those have, you know, started to dissipate in past weeks. I will adjust accordingly moving forward. Tough one for Joe Burrow. Look, you know, I, I've been riding the Joe Burrow QB1 train all season, but we told you week one against the Chargers, their first matchup against the Ravens, this one against the Steelers, and I believe it's week 15 they play the Steelers again. Yeah, Burrow's not going to be a recommended start in those weeks. He was not a recommended start this week. 213 yards, one touchdown, barely completed 50% of his passes, took four sacks. The Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is the biggest kryptonite of this team. And, you know, when they're facing the league's single best defense, the best defense PFF has ever seen in terms of pressure rate, yeah, that's not going to be a winning formula. So better days will be ahead for Burrow in this passing game. Looking at these backfields, Giovanni Bernard continued to dominate snaps with 6-7%, but you know, it was kind of the concerns I had about this backfield early on, and we saw Giovanni Bernard really dominate that first game, but past two weeks, Samaj P. Ryan has been playing a lot more, you know, and getting a lot of carries as well. I mean, the last two games, I know they were coming off the bye, but P. Ryan, 25% snaps in this one, but seven carries, just one fewer, or one less than Gio, also had a target, so 
if and when Joe Mixon comes back, he's going to be the lead back and getting more of these carries. For now with Geo, they're more willing to pass the ball, which is probably better for the overall offense. But just realize that Geo is far more of an RB2 than Mixon, who is you know locked in as an RB1 whenever he can get healthy. With the Steelers, James Conner, 88% snaps. This was great. I and mean, we talked about, you know, in past weeks, his snaps were going down more because the Steelers were using so much empty, not really because another running back was working ahead of Conner, but just 13 carries for 36 yards and only two targets. It's back-to-back, you know, just smash spot matchup that we haven't seen uh, Connor able to take advantage of. And guess what, everybody? He has another one on the horizon here. So, you know, Connor, I know it's been disappointing and he hasn't really had this kind of typical Steelers workhorse role we've been used to. He gets the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 11. So continue to fire him up as an RB1. It's been disappointing, but, you know, the overall lead undisputed RB1 for this freaking 9-0 Steelers team, he's going to score touchdowns more weeks than not. Those haven't been coming in over the past few weeks. They were there in the first half of the season when he was balling out, expecting them to come back sooner rather than later. This was a huge game for these Steelers wide receivers. We've been wondering, you know, is it Deontay, is it Juju, is it Claypool? Hey, if Rossberger's going to throw the ball 40-plus times per game, it can be all three, and that was the case in this one. Uh, Deontay, six catches, 116 yards, and a score on 11 targets. Juju, nine catches, 77 yards, and a score on 13 targets. And Chase Claypool, four catches, 56 yards, two touchdowns on 10 targets. So I pretty much maintain that it's Claypool, uh, one, Deontay, two, Juju, three, in terms of, you know, who should we expect the most fantasy production from. But again, if all these guys are flirting with double-digit targets on a week-to-week basis, we can treat all them, you know, maybe not as wide receiver twos, but at a minimum, top 30 options at the position, guys that should be in more fantasy football starting lineups than not. So good stuff all the way around with the Bengals. T. Higgins had seven catches for 115 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Boyd caught six of eight targets for 41 yards. A.J. Green, zero receptions on five targets. Free Auden Tate, everybody. Come on. What are we wasting our time with? The big critique on Auden Tate is that the guy can't separate. Well, he's averaging a team high 2.1 yards per route run. How many times have we seen A.J. Green separate this year? Sure looks to me like Auden Tate is the better player in the year 2020. Even when he's, you know, not able to separate, he's able to come down with the contested catch a lot more than A.J. Green. Look at any advanced metric you want for this year. Tells you Auden Tate's a better player. I understand, you know, there's more than goes into it than just necessarily being, you know, the top player at this point in time. A.J. Green's done a lot for his organization. He's had better weeks uh, throughout the season. But, I mean, at some point, we need to realize that, you know, A.J. Green, this version of him is not cutting it. And when we see just... If it was the entire passing game struggling, that'd be one thing. Then maybe we could write it off on other guys. But Higgins is fine. Boyd is fine. Tate's doing fine with his opportunities. Burrow sure looks good out there. You know, we got to put some of the blame on A.J. Green. I know I'm not the only one to suggest this. And, you know, he has looked dusty more weeks than not this year. Will continue to not be a recommended fantasy start. Whereas we have Boyd, you know, weekly wide receiver two and Higgins sneaking up more and more in that conversation himself. So the more this becomes, you know, condensed around Boyd and Higgins, the more we can have confidence in both those guys moving forward as it is. You know, once we get some better matchups, uh, these guys are going to be more, uh, more than viable fantasy options more weeks than not. PFF Lily matchup stats. So, look, Burrow already has eight games with at least 35 pass attempts this season. That's tied for the sixth most by a rookie in NFL history. The NFL record is just 10 such games. That's shared by Sam Bradford, Daniel Jones, Andrew Luck, Brandon Whedon, and Carson Wentz. So, Joe Burrow is on pace just to shatter the amount of volume we've seen from a rookie quarterback. And that was, you know, pretty much the thesis behind ranking him as a borderline QB1 going in this year. Last year, the Bengals were, I think, one of eight teams to throw the ball at least 600 times. This year, you know, they're throwing 
own the ball pretty much more than anyone. And we got a little rushing floor from uh, Burrow along the way. So, you know, Burrow, even if we haven't seen the kind of that high end efficiency we thought he might have as a rookie, hey, he's had the volume to make up for. So continue to treat him as, you know, this uh, borderline top 12, top 14 quarterback when we're not facing either the Steelers or the Ravens. Three more matchups, everybody. Thank you for sticking with me here. Next up, we got the Saints defeating the 49ers 27-13. Drew Brees suffered a ribs in, rib injury. Sounds like it's not going to keep him out, you know, for too long of a time, but his, uh, you know, just availability is in doubt looking at Week 11 specifically. Before he exited, uh, 76 yards and a touchdown, fumbled the snap and just lobbed one out to a wide-open Alvin Kamara. Just wasn't a game where the Saints really had to put their foot on the gas at all. I mean, we got to see Jameis Winston come in the second half. It was disappointing, everyone. It's like they neutered the guy. I mean, it's like what we saw from Teddy Bridgewater last year in this offense. They're just pretty much acting like a poor man's version of Drew Brees when they're out there. They're doing the same reads. They're not pushing the ball down the field. It's not like Sean Payton took out Drew Brees and asked Jameis to be Jameis. He just asked him to try to control the game and not mess it up. And to Jameis's credit, no interceptions. He only took two sacks. I guess I shouldn't say only took two sacks, but didn't fumble the ball. Uh, you know, didn't mess up too badly, so... Unfortunately for Jameis, wasn't the exactly, you know, entertaining performance that we were hoping to see. And uh, I've grown to love from over the year. But you know what? In his uh, quest to kind of get back a real-life starting job, uh, this sort of performance probably was more of a positive than negative. Uh, Taysom Hill did not attempt a pass attempt. Had eight carries. So did Alvin Kamara. Come on, Sean Payton. We get it. You love Taysom Hill. Just chill. Like, we're fine with him getting here five to ten snaps per game. Give him a couple touches. But really... Taysom Hill, he's going to have as many freaking carries as Alvin Kamara. One fewer carry than Latavius Murray. To Taysom Hill credit, you know, he had 45 rushing yards. Kamara only had 15. But at some point, you know, we're just going to see this rear its ugly head in the wrong moment. And, hey, maybe Taysom Hill keeps balling at the right times. I understand he was, you know, arguably their best offensive player in that Vikings game last year. But it just it feels so forced sometimes. And we did see these stretches in the second half where when they didn't have Breeze in there and it was Taysom Hill as a QB, got awful one-dimensional awfully fast. So we'll see what happens moving forward there. Uh, looking at the 49ers side of the ball, Nick Mullins, 24 for 38, 247 yards, touchdown, pair of interceptions that were both his fault and also took two sacks. You know, I'm not the only one that I think probably was a little more hyped about Nick Mullins than we should have been, you know, after Jimmy G went down. He throws downfield more often, and we've seen him have, you know, a high yards per attempt rate. Pretty sure, you know, the latter is just more so due to Kyle Shanahan being a wizard. But, you know, as long as he can continue to exist and just kind of feed Brandon Ayuk these sort of serviceable games, that's great. But in terms of expecting, you know, high-end fantasy production from Nick Mullins, maybe once they get Debo Samuel back and Raheem Moses and some other weapons, we can uh, talk and maybe he'll, you know, play his way into that conversation. But for now, not so much with these backfields you know first looking at the Saints Alvin Kamara 64% snaps eight carries eight targets got three total touchdowns I mean seven catches 83 yards uh, Latavius Murray had nine carries on 41% snaps Alvin Kamara continuing to be the overall RB1 you know maybe RB2 I did end up ranking Dalvin Cook ahead of him uh, for this week so we'll see how that pans out but you know the fact he did get eight targets in a game with Michael Thomas back in action I mean the Saints only threw the ball 23 times so we did see you know much more condensed around Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas than past weeks. But again, he's going to have just such a fantasy-friendly role. If you're in a standard league or even half PPR, it's not quite the same. But in full point per reception formats, Alvin Kamara is a freaking fantasy cheat code. 
With the 49ers, Jarek McKinnon played 61% snaps, 18 carries and two targets. He's been a consistent RB2 as the starting running back for this offense. Doesn't seem like it's going to be happening that much longer. Raheem Mostert expected to be back before too long, but, you know, didn't find the end zone this week. But just realize, you know, if we have more 49ers games down the stretch, they have shown out they're willing to treat McKinnon as a workhorse, you know, and he's going to be fired up as a top 15, top 18 backs when he gets that opportunity. Jermichael Hasty unfortunately broke his collarbone, so we're expecting him to miss the rest of the season. And again, it should be the Raheem Mostert show sooner rather than later in San Fran. Quickly looking at these receivers, Brandon Ayuk, I was on record saying he was my favorite DFS play of the week. Didn't go bonkers, but hey, we'll take seven catches for 75 yards and a touchdown on 14 targets. You know, one of Mullen's interceptions was intended for him, but hey, this you know the reason why we liked Ayuk this week was because going in that Packers game on Thursday night, Kyle Shanahan had said before that you know 85% of their passing plays were designed with Ayuk as number one target. Instead, we saw Richard James go for over 180 yards. Ayuk didn't have quite the same performance, but 14 targets, next close guy was Jordan Reed with just six hey Kyle Shanahan's number one offensive playmaker no matter who's under center I have faith that he can get that number one guy uh, some pretty solid performances more weeks than not Brandon Ayuk is that guy right now and he's going to continue to be a top 20 option at the position for however long Debo Samuel remains sidelined and even once Debo comes back I mean Ayuk's going to be in this upside wide receiver uh, three conversation I would say but just realize this rookie looks great ball, ball ball in his hands he can do his thing we all know he jumped over the guy that one time but truly just his route running and his ability to you know show soft hands catch the ball well he looks like anyone's idea of a legit NFL wide receiver for years to come uh, with the Saints mentioned Kamara leading the way Michael Thomas caught just two of seven targets for 27 scoreless yards doesn't quite look like a fully healthy version of himself credit to him for toughing through the pain but Man, you know, we've been giving this guy the benefit of the doubt in fantasy land ever since he's been back. Might not be able to do that right now, particularly with Drew Brees' sideline. You know, we don't have that kind of same mind mill chemistry going on with, with, between him and Taysom and Jameis. Looks like more of a run-first offense without Drew Brees in there. Michael Thomas is going to be more on that wide receiver one borderline than I think we ever thought he would be uh, in Week 11 and potentially beyond. Any other notes here? Uh, Richard James had a potential better ball touchdown that was just, you know, underthrown. He was pretty far downfield. I'm not sure if it was a realistic shot. Other than that, kind of thought it was a pretty straight-up game. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stats. So here are Alvin Kamara's touchdowns by year. In 2017, he had 13. 2018, he had 18. and 2019, only had 6. In 2020, he has 11 touchdowns. He is on pace for 19.6 trips to the end zone. Touchdown regression, everybody. It is a hell of a drug. Two more matchups to go. We got the Rams and the Seahawks. Rams won 23-216. Really wasn't even that close, which is wild because, you know, the fact that if you would have said, you know, hey, the Seahawks are playing the Rams. Rams are only going to score 23 points. Who do you think is going to win? I think we all would have taken, you know, our next month's mortgage and put it on the Seahawks in this one, but was not the case. Russell Wilson, 22 for 37, 248 yards, pair of interceptions, and took six sacks. Looked erratic all game, man. I mean, this is just one kind of play after another. Lockett has stepped on one, but the deep ball was overthrown Metcalf had one in the fourth quarter where he ran double move and was wide open but Russ's didn't you know didn't see him didn't have time to get the ball to him whatever it was they weren't able to hook up and even the rookie Swaim had you know a potential score that just Russ wasn't able to put the ball on him so awful game 
from Russell Wilson. No other way to really put it. Not saying he had you know the most help from his teammates. And hey, this Los Angeles Rams defense, we gotta give them credit too for shutting him down. And really, they've done a great job all season shutting down most teams they've they've faced. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, just an offense, just an awesome defensive scheme. I really encourage people. You know, if you are wondering about the Rams' success, uh, it went up a couple weeks ago. But Seth Galina from PFF had an awesome piece just talking about the Rams, you know, defense and what they're kind of able to do schematically and what's made them so good. So just after reading that, that kind of opened my eyes up to seeing, you know, hey, the Rams, they're legit on defense. You know, losing Wade Phillips and stuff, it didn't in some parts of the secondary, didn't quite seem that way, but truly they are balling out this year. Russell Wilson, this is another bad performance, and we've seen a few of these recently, you know, and he's still in that MVP conversation and all that, but not so much. I mean, he's, he can't be considered a favorite. I think Mahomes should be the odds-on favorite at this point, if not uh, Aaron Rodgers and Russ, definitely in that number three, if not lower spot, because you look at it, again, took six sacks and had two picks in this game. He had the 60 rushing yards, and that's fine for fantasy, but was missing throws. He threw three picks against Arizona, two against Buffalo. He's taken multiple sacks in every single game this year, and so I know some people, you know, you look at sacks and you think of that as an offensive line stat usually it's more of a quarterback particularly for someone like Russ where he's going back there and holding the ball for so long and I'm not criticizing him for holding the ball so long he knows exactly what he's doing and we see it with Deshaun Watson too some of these guys you know truly like let's think about it when you're back there as a quarterback and no one's immediately open. You really only have three options. You can try to throw the ball away, you can try to force the ball in the coverage, or you can try to extend the play and, you know, do something with your legs and then figure it out from there. So Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, being the playmakers they are, they usually pick, you know, option C. They try to extend the play. Because of that, when they can't get away, they get sacked. But it also causes a lot of positive plays that quarterbacks that don't have the mobility wouldn't even be attempting to do in the first place. So again, bad performance by Russell Wilson, but, you know, we've seen more than enough from him this year to think... uh, uh, you know, he will figure out a way how to turn it around here sooner rather than later. Uh, Jared Goff had 302 passing yards, no interceptions, uh, three sacks. He did lose a fumble, but this was a nice little bounce back performance from him. You know, coming off that uh, Miami game a couple of weeks ago where he just posted literally the single worst uh, game PFF grade of the entire season from the quarterback position. So, hey, when Goff, you know, when he can put his foot, put his foot down, make that accurate throw from a clean pocket. You know, there's few guys in the league that are more accurate when everything is right, but still continues to kind of leave, leave a lot to be desired when it comes to creating off script. But hey, you know, it, there's not a better, you know, marriage in terms of a coach that can kind of set things up for him. And we see that in performances like this one. Looking at these backfields, absolute three-headed mess from the Rams. We were worried this was going to be the case coming out of the bye, and it was. Cam Akers actually got the first touch, but Malcolm Brown led the way at 41% snaps, six carries, two targets. Daryl Henderson, 33% snaps, seven carries, one target, and Cam Akers, 26% snaps, and 10 carries. This is not going away, everyone. McVay, to his credit, has said all offseason they like their three running backs. They want to continue to use all three of them. You know, it was only two of them for a while, and we could trust Henderson, but I just think with this situation, all three guys are going to be outside my top 24 back in week 11 likely beyond we just can't trust three rb committees two we can live with we want one three or four very very hard to trust uh with the seahawks same thing Alex collins 48 percent snaps dj dallas 32 percent travis homer 11 percent you know credit to collins for scoring a touchdown on some of his but yeah dj dallas i mean i think i've you know suggested someone else in every single start sit, sit question with the guy because it's been so erratic. It's been moving around. None of these guys have done anything to kind of seize the role, and it does sound like Chris Carson will be back as early as next week. So, you know, I'll be firing up Carson as a top 12 option as a position as soon as he's back. None of these guys will be in my top 24. Otherwise, uh, quickly on the wide receivers, again, it was just tough to expect anything from these uh, Seahawks guys. Tyler Lockett, team high, nine targets, 
five catches, 66 yards. Nobody else went over 40. I do wonder if Russell Wilson is just giving too much respect to some of these top cornerbacks when they're on uh, DK Metcalf. Because we, we saw Jalen Ramsey on him for a lot of this game. Just Russell wasn't even taking chances at it. And then also a couple of weeks ago in the Arizona Cardinals game when Patrick Peterson was on uh, Metcalf. Look, you know, I've talked, I've trashed PP in the, enough on this uh podcast already you know we don't need to discuss whether he's a great quarterback a cornerback anymore but Russell Wilson you know he's been in this division a long time so I think in his memory and probably in his current state of mind he probably still views Patrick Peterson as an elite corner so it's just one of these things you know we saw Aaron Rodgers over the years really refrain from ever testing Richard Sherman or some of these other uh, just really talented cornerbacks and I haven't done you know all the research I need to on this but it just you know it does seem like we see these games where you know just overly feeds Lockett or Metcalf I do think there might be something to Russ you know really going out of his way to avoid that top matchup because he has so much trust in the other guy and them winning their, you know, just uh, relatively easier matchup uh, depending on the week. Uh, with the Rams, we had Josh Reynolds lead the way, eight catches for 94 yards on a team high, 10 targets. Cup had five catches for 50 yards on seven targets. Robert Woods, five catches for 33 yards on six targets. And then we had the uh, tight ends Higby going for 60 yards and a nice little bounce back, but Gerald Everett staying involved as well. And that's going to take us right into the PFF Lily matchup stat. Guys, Josh Reynolds played 90% of the offensive snaps in week three. This was after a couple weeks with rookie Van Jefferson splitting the way. Since week three, here's been the Rams targets. Cooper Cup in first with 64. Josh Reynolds in second with 44. Robert Woods with 43. Gerald Everett with 27. And Tyler Higby with 21. That's crazy, everyone. Josh Reynolds more targets than Robert Woods. In this economy, that's freaking mad. And I understand that Robert Woods is getting the rush attempts and he's going to have more, you know, total opportunities than Josh, Josh Reynolds on a week-to-week basis. But, man, it's even been turning up more towards Reynolds in recent weeks. And the guy, and to his credit, is making the most out of it. So, Woods, you know, still going to be a guy that I think we can kind of fire up in these sort of matchups, you know, inside the top 20. But more and more approaching that wide receiver two borderline. And we got to start giving Reynolds a little bit more respect and kind of treating him as an upside wide receiver three that he's been for the better part of the past three weeks. So, you know, this is going to be more of a run for us offense in future games. I get that. But just realize this is not kind of the condensed two wide receiver passing game we thought it was. It is three guys, and it's unfortunate that there isn't more volume to go around because they're all three talented enough dudes. And I do think that, you know, Woods and Cupper are objectively better than Reynolds. But, you know, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what the Rams think, and we have seen them utilize Reynolds ahead of Woods in recent games. Before we get to Sunday night matchup, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Monkey Knife Fight. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge in our subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today, and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Last one, everybody. Thank you for sticking around. We got the Patriots beating the Ravens 23-17. You know, mentioned the Browns game maybe being the worst weather matchup. I think it was his Patriots one. It was just raining sideways at certain points throughout the uh, evening. Wasn't so bad early on. We saw the Patriots do the majority of their passing in that uh, time. You know, Cam Newton ended up going 13 for 17, 118 yards and a short touchdown on Rex Burkhead. Jacoby Myers chipped in a 24-yard touchdown pass. That was absolutely beautiful leading Burkhead uh, into the end zone. No ex-high school quarterback. Of course, you know, seemingly every... uh, Patriots wide receiver used to play quarterback at some point or another he has seamlessly taken uh, that Julian Edelman job no problem but also credit to Cam Newton 11 carries 21 yards and another rushing touchdown this dude you know if Kyler doesn't get, break Cam's record uh, hell Cam might just break it by himself uh, with the Ravens 
Lamar Jackson, 24 for 34, 249 yards, two touchdowns and an interception, chipped in, 55 rushing yards. You know, everyone's always so quick to jump on Lamar. I would just say two things. One, like Kyler, we don't give enough credit to Lamar's rushing ability. We just kind of compare him against other quarterbacks. Everyone has a passer, and it's like, no, okay, Lamar isn't as good as the other guys as a passer, but they are not in the same world of him as a rusher. Both things matter. we got to consider them both. And two, can we get Lamar some better wide receivers? I mean, you look at Kyler, he got DeAndre Hopkins. You look at Josh Allen, he got Stephon Diggs. Like, the fact the Ravens made no true additions to their tight end or wide receiver rooms in this offseason, other than trading Hayden Hurst and, I guess, you know, signing Des Bryant a few weeks ago, but he wasn't even active for this game. It's just troubling because, I mean, we got Marquise Brown out there who we've seen get open at different portions of the year, but not in this game. You know, Lamar got picked off trying to force it to him down the sideline when he just didn't have any sort of separation. We got Mark Andrews who you know is out there and hey you know when Lamar can put it on him down the seam and he's done some special things after the catch before Mark Andrews is fine but when our next most relevant guy is Willie Sneed and you know Miles Boykin it's rough I just really like to see Lamar Jackson with a high-end wide receiver as we've seen with Josh Allen over the years and with a ton of quarterbacks in the league you give them better weapons in the passing game and you get better results from the quarterback it's not rocket science people as much as Matt Patricia tries to make it to be uh, sometimes so Willie Sneed you know he caught two touchdowns in this one one was just a pop pass the other one was a little uh, deeper crosser that was a nicer throw and catch by both of them he's fine this isn't you know meant to hate on Willie Sneed or anything but come on let's get Lamar Jackson some real weapons that should be the Ravens number one priority going into the 2021 offseason uh yeah so backfields don't have these available snaps but we did see Gus Edwards lead the way seven carries 42 yards J.K. Dobbins five carries 13 yards and Mark Ingram five carries one of which was an ill-fated wildcat, wildcat attempt uh, where he ended up fumbling the snap. So why you would run a wildcat formation, you know, in the monsoon when you have Lamar freaking Jackson already a quarterback, I don't know, but I'm not a coach, so I'll leave it at that. But, yeah, as long as this is such a three-headed, uh, you know, committee, we cannot trust any of these guys as, you know, realistic startable fantasy options. It's unfortunate. We've seen Gus and Dobbins, you know, kind of flash throughout the season, not so much Ingram, but, you know, just as long as this is a three-RB committee with Lamar taking plenty of rundown work himself, yeah, no, we cannot trust these guys at all. With the Patriots, credit to Damon Harris, 22 carries, 121 yards. We also saw Rex Burkhead, uh, again, get those two touchdown receptions. James White only had two total targets on the game. Again, that was more of a factor of them just being able to play with a lead and run the ball. Look, Damon Harris was out there running hard. The guy, the guy finishes runs with power, but Sonny Michelle has been practicing they don't list him on the injury report because he's still on the IR, but just realize seems to be getting closer to a return. And Sony was playing some good ball himself before he went out. If Sony's going to be active alongside Damon Harris, I think they're both going to be unusable. If we get word that one of them was a healthy scratch, that's fine. Just realize, you know, as we saw in this one, Cam Newton still the preferred rushing option inside the 10-yard line. There's no pass down, you know, work for Damon Harris or Sony Michelle. What you pretty much have is someone that's not going to be getting targets or goal line carries. And hey, if they can clear, you know, triple-digit rushing cards. They'll be viable fantasy guys, but just keep your expectations in line for Damon Harris and Michelle. They are everyone's idea of a game script dependent RB2 at best. Already kind of talked about these receivers. Uh, credit to Jacoby Myers, five catches, 59 yards. Also had uh, Devin Duvernay get 45 yards for the Ravens. But yeah, everybody, uh, we had Nick Boyle suffer a nasty knee injury. Hope he gets better. But that is going to do it for this edition of the PFF 
Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you again for listening. You can find me on Twitter at iHeartits. I send out these episodes every morning when they are live. And also, you can catch my content throughout the week. Try to touch on every fantasy relevant player, you know, through podcast form or written form, usually both, and trying to entertain you and keep you informed along the way. So, I'm Ian Hardis. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you for listening, as always. And until next time, take care.